welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Wednesday, November 24th, 2021, and Dr. Rick and I are coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. We are delighted today to have a very special family on the Defender Podcast, a family that has just a story of grace and redemption and a story of grace and redemption that ultimately led them to domestic adoption. And we are so privileged to be joined by Will and Mally, and they're going to tell their family's story and journey through domestic adoption. And Will is a pastor in the low country of South Carolina, and uh, I have had the opportunity actually to visit with Will and see the work and the community with which they're serving, and the gospel is going forth through this family and through this ministry. And so we're just so grateful to be able to tell their story for you to see so much uh, of what God has done through failed adoption, uh, through personal adoption, but then also through the grace of God and the goodness of God uh, that's brought this family together. Before we get to hear their story and before I bring uh, the venerable Dr. Rick on, I do wanna remind you about the Advent cards. Uh, we have Advent cards with short discussion and scripture on each card. These are a free download and purchase, and uh, you can purchase a set and or download for free in our store. They're beautifully designed and a great tool to help prepare the hearts and the minds of your family for the fullness of Christmas. You can see the link in our show notes, or as always, you can go to lifelinechild.org or specifically lifelinechild.org backslash advent dash cards. So advent cards to help you and your family walk through the important season that we come up to with Advent. Well, Dr. Rick, grateful to have you back after a couple weeks traveling around uh, on the Defender podcast. And what a great opportunity you have to come back in uh, for this story and to be able to hear from Will and Mally. Well, I got back at just the right time. So, you know, this was uh, this was kind of a perfect circumstance. And I, I think, you know, even as you as you let in, we're, we're talking about the Advent season and talking about, you know, Christ and his coming and our, you know, our redemption that that we find only in, in Jesus. And 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 that leads us to reflect right on our adoption in Christ and about all that all that the Lord has done to to bring about our salvation, to draw us to himself and and to and to make a way for us and. And I love it when we get to dig into stories and we get to talk to people where where their lives are just a reflection of that kind of that kind of redemptive grace. And that, you know, families that just can't tell their story without it it dripping with pointing toward like the greater truth of, you know, of, of who Jesus is and what he's done. And and so Will and Mally, thank you for coming and being a part of uh, the podcast today. And, and, and thanks for thanks for sharing your story with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're we, excited to be here. Well, you know, I think um, as as we wait in, I mean, I think the first place to start is at the beginning, right? Like, let's let's just kind of give our listeners a little bit of a context of of who you are. We know, you know, we know your family that's in ministry, and and Herbie shared a little bit about that, and and obviously you have an adoption story that will um, and that that is that has several facets to it that we'll kind of unpack over the course of our time together, but. Um, but let's kind of start at the beginning and just tell us a little bit of your story and kind of help folks to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Will and I, um, both grew up in the South. We 
we met at college. We're coming up on our 10th year of marriage. Thought to celebrate that. And um, Will is a pastor at our church. And I, when I'm working outside of the home, I'm a nurse. And I've kind of dabbled in a couple different things. And we have had uh, three biological children and then got to adopt our fourth child. So that's the way that God's grown our family so far. And we just recently moved um, in the past couple of years to plant a church. And so God's been doing a lot in our story the last few years. That's incredible. And church planning is uh, like, that's kind of an all encompassing thing for the whole family, right? Like that's, um, that's, that's (laughs) something that all hands on deck, everybody's involved. And, and so, um, and, and so what, like, what led the two of you to, you know, even to begin to think about adoption or to, you know, to pursue adoption? Yeah, we, you know, going, uh, I am an adopt, an adoptee. And I think that um, what led us to it, we we early on in our marriage knew that adoption um, would probably be a part of our family story in more more way than one, more way than just me. Um, I, for me, because I had experienced adoption, it was something I always wanted to, I hoped I would get to participate in as an adoptive father, um, which has been an amazing experience. But I think just having lived what I lived through and knowing that I knew some of the kind of the grief that can be associated with adoption, the uh, identity issues that can be associated with adoption and having navigated a lot of that with Christ and with community, the idea of getting to adopt for me and for us sounded like it would be a joy and a privilege. So I think that that led us there. And the truth is even in early in our marriage, it was something Mally uh, wanted to do as well. Yeah, I don't remember what exactly had stirred it in my heart, but I I had really desired to do that before I even met Will. Um, and then, you know, we started having kids biologically and it kind of felt like life was moving at a really fast pace. And so I do feel like our timeline for pursuing, taking steps toward adoption kind of got put on the back burner for a while. Um And then Will and I actually experienced a miscarriage and I feel like the Lord really used the time of, of grieving that the loss of that child really caused us to pause and pray and ask God, you know, what direction he would take, he would have us take next to expand our family and what he would have us pursue. I think that was a special time for us. Um, So I feel like that's when we started taking more um direct steps about adoption and we actually reached out to um our friend Kathy Leake and asked her if she would have a phone call with us and I feel like she just asked us some really intentional questions one being like if we would want to pursue like orphan care or birth mother ministry and what what we felt like the Lord was drawing us towards and I really feel like God used that series of events to to have us pursue domestic adoption. That's awesome. I I think, you know, you, you bring up an interesting point that I think sometimes families as they're, as they're walking into the adoption process, they, they like, they lack the perspective sometimes of the, like of the long term, and, you know, and, and Will, I'm sure, you know, your, your personal experience as, you know, as an adoptee, I'm, I'm sure 
you know, is part of that, but, but that realization that you're going to have a, a ministry connection and a gospel connection to, you know, to birth parents and to a place and to a lot of things, um, you know, really does enter into the, you know, enter into the decision that we make about, about how, you know, how we proceed and how we pursue and, and, and what God's called us to. And I, I love, you know, that, that, that was a part of the story from the very beginning for you guys, as far as stepping off into it to, you know, just really, you know, prayerfully consider that. And so you, so you took the step and, and you, you know, you realized the time was right and God would have you to, you know, to adopt. And, and so, um, like a lot of other adoptive families, you jump into the waiting process, right? Like you, you do all the things that you can do and, and then, you know, then there's the wait. And so, um, you know, maybe what did the Lord do in your life or what did the Lord teach you through that season of, of waiting and, and that, that season of anticipation, um, you know, b- before God moved toward a, you know, toward a child and toward a placement. Whew, that time period was so hard. I feel like it was a, <laughs> a fire hydrant of learning. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I don't think I quite understood until we were in it, but um, we kept using the word limbo. We felt like we were always in limbo. It felt like we couldn't plan because we didn't know what was coming or when it would come. Um, we couldn't decide for a while if it felt worse not hearing anything at all, or if it felt worse, you know, reading all these info summaries and then responding to multiple of them and just kind of that limbo of waiting to hear back. Um, and I don't know if we ever really came to a conclusion about which one's more difficult, honestly. Um, but the emotions were just so up and down and back and forth and, Will and I really were putting so much energy towards laboring in prayer for these mm. birth mothers and for the children mm. that we were presented with. It just, it felt emotionally exhausting, but I think it felt like the work that we kind of signed up for, even if we didn't know fully what we had signed up for. Um, I think at one point we realized like, this is, this is kind of like, not kind of, it is eternal work that we could partake in, Mm -hmm. in our waiting. You know, it it feels like hard to think about prayer in that way sometimes because it's so intangible. But um, I just remember having a friend speak that encouragement over us that Mm -hmm. in this waiting, like God is working and, and God is working through our prayers and our, you know, supplication before the Lord and our requests. Um, I think he was, teaching us a lot about the value of that. And he was showing us like how he would sustain us. And he was, he was going to renew our strength for all the unknowns of that time period. Uh, What a, what a great thing to see (laughs) how even in the hard and even in the difficult, that that the Lord is, is always teaching us. And I'm sure neither of you entered into this process thinking, man, we need to be taught these lessons by the Lord. You know, you entered in this process really thinking, you know, here we are and we're, we're, we want to offer up our family to help a child, to love on a child, really to, to show the gospel to this birth mother and, and to this child. And yet, as we've mentioned a little bit, you know, you, you went through a failed placement and, and you experienced grief and loss you put yourself out there and really the, the beautiful picture, even of while, while I'm sure at the moment it didn't feel beautiful of experiencing this grief, this loss and this anticipated 
anxious, long waiting, you really begin to step into even a picture of the gospel because that's what Christ does for us. He enters into our hurt and our pain mm-hmm. and our suffering. He goes through he, he, he goes through grief um, and waiting in order to pursue our souls. But I'd love just to know how has the Lord stretched you and taught you as you've gone through these failed place, this failed placement, but also as you've experienced just, just grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, <clears throat> the, the first match we had failed and it was after we uh, matched with the birth mother went um, and were out there with her for an extended period of time with the child in the NICU. And we were really caring for the child for a period and, it was the the failed placement was incredibly difficult for us and uh, maybe uniquely for me. I mean, honestly, I think Mally, my wife, really helped me tremendously uh, navigate through navigate through that. <clears throat> One of the things I think it it taught us that we knew, but it was like you can know things in your mind and not know it in your your heart or your hands, was uh, that it's not that this this ministry is not about us mm. and. Um, and if we, if God saw fit to use us, to use our prayers and to use our presence to take us out and to care for a birth mother, to be a net for her for a time period, then that's how God's going to use us. And that's good. And <clears throat> I think about the verse in the Psalms, it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I think part of what God was showing us was <laughs> it is, it is literally, um, better to have a failed placement serving God than have a full family serving ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, a, that was a big thing we learned. Um, it didn't make it easier, um, but it, it helped us have purpose and understand purpose in the midst of that. And I really think has made us um, made us better and um, just helped kind of remind us even now that we, we actually, you know, we did match and we do have a placement. We do have a son that we have through adoption it still just helped, it helped settle our perspective on what all this is, that it's not about us as the adoptive parents. It's about God ultimately, but it's about us getting to serve these families and this child. And so I think we learned, we learned that through pain, but. Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, the most valuable lessons that the Lord teaches us are through, you know, through those painful circumstances and through those difficult things. And, you know, Will, I think you, you said earlier something that really struck a chord with me talking about your own experience and, and really, you know, um, experiencing grief, experiencing, you know, identity issues, those kinds of things. And, and something that on, from the, from the side of the equation of, of being, um, you know, being a dad through adoption um, and, and a pastor, I think one of the, one of the things that has occurred to me over time is, is the need for the church to be a safe place Yes. for people to be able to to experience that grief and to kind of walk through those things um and and I just love to hear you guys talk a little bit about that because I from your experience because I think I think many times in the church there's a there's a perception that this is a happy thing right like it's mm-hmm. a it's an awesome thing when when a family adopts but we know like we know that brokenness is part of that story. We know that there's mm-hmm. there's grief in the midst of the joy, and and sometimes I think we unwittingly, um, you know, kind of talk about things in such joyous terms, and we talk about things in in such a positive manner that we don't 
Like we don't create a safe space for, for parents, for, you know, for kids, for anybody to really be able to be real about the, you know, about the grief and about the, about the challenges. And so I'm, I'm sure that the Lord's giving you a perspective on that. And I, I just love for you guys to talk about that a little bit. That's a, that's a great question. I'll go first. And if you have anything else, baby, but um, yeah, I, I agree with you. The church uh, I think typically doesn't grieve well or lament well, um, nor would I say I do naturally. <laughs> you know? um, so I'm no better, right. but I, I do think that the lack of familiarity around adoption and probably specifically birth parents or adult adoptees talking to adoption has kind of created a, a false understanding of adoption in a lot of ways that it really is. It can just be, feel like parents coming in and saving a child mm. and there's nothing but good. You know, <clears throat> I met my biological family as an adult and it was the hardest year of my life probably mm. um, because of how emotional it was and it was wrecking. Um, mm. And so the benefit of our church was, and I would like encourage anybody was just, I, I shared that with people. And so our church was aware of some of the pain and the complications around adoption and not just because of me, but because of other families too, in our church who've adopted or fostered, it just became a more common part of our conversation. And so people were exposed more to the difficulties and the grief and the complexity around the stories. So people could handle with more care. Cause if you don't, if you don't know something's a wound, for example, you're not going to handle it with care. Or if you don't know there's pain, you can approach it with callousness. And I think part of it was just having some community who'd been exposed to it before, which I think really helped us um, and our community support us in some of the pain of it um, and just checking in and asking questions. And like Mally said, even in the waiting, I mean, we had a family who some of our close closest friends who'd adopted. And so they're speaking over us about that ministry of prayer because they've done it. Mm-hmm. And so I think we just need more community and more conversations like this, even to help people kind of navigate through some of the complexities of all that. So. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I think sometimes, oh. oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Mally. I was just going to say, I don't know that I have that much to add to that. I just think the, the real conversations because you're almost like for people that haven't lived through it kind of like anything associated with grief you're just inviting them into understanding so I think yeah. like just having those real authentic conversations about how painful different aspects are and like even just I mean thinking about a failed placement it was like communicating like God answers our answered our specific prayers even through the outcome being different than we had hoped for Um, and we can see that looking back and how we had prayed and how God had like even equipped us through our prayers and Mm. and prayers that our friends had prayed over us and how, um, I just feel like looking back through the, the fog of grief, we were able to say like, this, this is not what we had hoped for, but God is showing his glory. Like he's showing how he desires for this birth parent to actually get to parent their child. So anyway, I just think like inviting people into those real conversations that sometimes are hard because you're correcting, not correcting, but maybe changing misperceptions, you know, that, that even myself had around adoption. 
And I think, I think one of the, one of the big misperceptions sometimes that we struggle in is that whole, that whole tension between spiritual adoption and earthly adoption and, and how much we feel like we have to uphold, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of this, that picture of the gospel in, in our families, not realizing that in our stories, like there's brokenness all over the place and, and it's not the perfect, you know, reflection or the perfect mirror. Um, but yet our stories kind of give us this undeniable way to be able to, to point to something that's so much greater and, and so much, you know, other than, you know, our own experience. And so I just, I appreciate, and I just appreciate you guys being, you know, vulnerable and being willing to, you know, to, to dig into that and also mm-hmm. to talk about it. Cause I think, I think sometimes we, like we struggle to press into the awkwardness of, yeah. you know, of, of talking about mm-hmm. all of it. And, and Absolutely. so I, thank you for, you know, hopefully opening the doors for a lot of folks that are listening to even step in and, and begin to consider those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think even, Absolutely. you know, I, I love obviously what Paul says in second Corinthians chapter one, you know, when we struggle, when we suffer, when we go through pain, Christ comforts us in order that we may comfort others. And so, unfortunately, mm-hmm. failed adoption is a reality, especially in domestic circles, especially when you've got a heart to minister to a birth parent. And mm-hmm. I know you guys even know in church planting and, and in the community you work in there in, in the low country of South Carolina, that that when you enter into pain, that pain sometimes deflects back on you. How would you even be able to articulate how another family, how would you help, I guess, and articulate, how would you help a family that's also walking through a failed placement and failed grief? What were the, what were places that you would point them to and opportunities that you would want to share with them? I think I would, I mean, that's such a good question. I, I think I would just really encourage whoever has walked through that, like you are in the father's hands, even if it doesn't feel like it. And he, he sees you, he sees the depths of your heart, you know, he feels your pain. I think about how the Bible talks about that Jesus is a man of sorrows and he doesn't, you know, even though our emotions can be all over the place, like he never invalidates any of our emotions. I feel like he's so loving and compassionate towards us. And I think walking through a hardship like that, I think he's inviting us in. He He's constantly kind of calling us to something deeper with him, something greater. And I think that's relationship and, and just deeper knowledge and intimacy with him. Um, so I would just encourage you to lean into him and your pain and let him hold you and let him comfort you and, just encourage that he heals. He does heal. And it, I know that it takes time and it's different for everybody, but I do think he is the healer and mm-hmm. he has the full picture in mind. You know, he can see the full timeline and he wrote this before you were even here. You know, he wrote this story out before anybody else was involved. So I just think like, I hope that gives peace um, mm-hmm. and, and just gives comfort and and I think he's a trustworthy God. You know, I think he's a trustworthy God, even in the midst of pain. Hmm. Amen. I'd be interested even how going through that hurt and that pain has enriched the way that both of you have been able to pastorally shepherd the congregation you're leading. Like 
has it given you even a greater understanding or just a greater empathy for the flock that you're able to shepherd? Yes. Um, I mean, I think pain does it. Pain is the, in some ways, it's the great equalizer of humanity. I think it just brings us all on the same level. And it also, I think that, that specifically, it, it really, one of the things it did is it made me really needy. And as a pastor, sometimes you can believe the lie that you're not supposed to be the needy one. But I think as a leader, you can feel like that too. But that made me so needy. I just couldn't, I needed people. Like I needed help. I needed help from my wife, but I also needed help from our members. And so that, I think it really just, when you've, when you're experiencing the pain and you're experiencing the need and know what it is to be dependent, it, it helps you differently um, when people are needy, it's like, if you haven't experienced that, you're always operating from a place of like maybe sympathy or operating from a place of trying to understand. But when you've experienced the pain and the, and the need, then you, you, you can then minister out of what you've experienced, like that passage you, you quoted. So, yes, I think it, it definitely has, it helps me see people differently. Um, I think that all of processing are my adoption personally and the failed adoption, all of it has really helped me be a better pastor, honestly, <laughs> just because of the like experience, like dealing with stuff internally. So often we're, we can be inflicting pain on other people because we haven't dealt with our own stuff mm -hmm. and we're doing it subconsciously, I think. And so, yeah, I think all of that helped, it helped a lot. So. Well, I know you mentioned, uh, just recently and, and as an adult, being able to connect with your biological family. I'd love for you just to touch on that story a little bit and how that came to be, but also kind of go into what encouragement you would give families who are even considering how do they minister to the biological family, maybe mm -hmm. just from a personal experience as an adopted child, telling a family why it's so important that they maintain some level of contact with that biological family. Yeah, I, I I am pretty passionate about this. I, so I, you know, it was, I was adopted back in the era where everything, it feels like everything was closed. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I had tried to close off any sort of emotion surrounding my adoption. I mean, that was the way I feel like I was, that's probably part of my personality, but also was conditioned. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I had closed that off, but God had a way of chipping at what I had closed off, trying to pry it open. And he'd been doing that my whole life. Mm -hmm. So uh, my first year of marriage, we're watching this movie. It has this one scene out of adoption and I broke it, break out crying for an hour. And Mally's like, look at my new husband who is a mess, you know? And, and I'm like 23. And <clears throat> so God was prying away at that. And it wasn't until I was 30 that I met my biological family uh, hello, ancestry.com. Be careful, <laughs> you know, like ain't nothing secret no more. So I, so ancestry.com, you know, met one side, my whole biological father's side, six months later, my whole biological mother's side, seven half siblings. They all went to the same high school. It's a crazy story. They live two hours away from where I am. So like everybody's close to me wow. geographically. And, um, I have a relationship with basically everybody now, not everybody, not all my siblings, but most of them. And I've met everybody. And um, there was a lot of hard in that, a lot of emotional difficulty and all that. Um, 
But, you know, the truth is this, regardless of whether it's good or bad, the biological family is a part of the life and the makeup of every adopted child. And so to pretend like it's not is to deny something that God did. And I think Mm. it's just, we got to recognize that reality and not deny it because denial oftentimes I think actually inflicts more damage. It's almost, I think denial can sometimes be like drinking poison, expecting somebody else to die. Like, it's like, we're, we're trying to pretend like it doesn't affect us, but really we're damaging ourselves and um, eat whether it's good or bad. And so I think that you got to recognize that reality. And then I think one of the important things, like I think about my, my personal adoption, our son, and then those I know in our congregation who've adopted, it's like where you are now with the biological family. Like it's like, basically I'd say this, it is, it's a, it's a process. It's not just like a finite point in that the relationship might be bad now, might be, you know, you don't really know where it's going to be, but you know that this is a part of your child's story. And so you just got to keep progressing and praying and knowing that God's done this for a reason and created opportunity for a reason. And so like, I, like that's, I think that's important to note. Um, and the last thing I'll say is this, um, it really, so people used to ask me, what's it like being adopted? And most of my life I'd respond to that question with, um, I don't know, what's it like being a biological child? (laughs) I was like, I know what I know, you know what you know. And I was like, I don't know. And I was just, but what I came to realize, like, I was, I was not wanting to feel. And I think that actually made me not realize some of the joys and the benefits, even in the hard of my story. Mm. So like I get to experience a physical reality of something that's actually a deeper spiritual reality. I was adopted physically. Most people weren't. I was, I am also adopted spiritually into the kingdom of God. I get to taste a physical that helps me understand the spiritual deeper. And when you talk to your kids about their biological family and you help them meet them and navigate all that complexity, I believe you're cultivating a a deeper soil or like you're cultivating soil for them to actually have the seeds of the gospel planted in a richer way. Mm. So that's why I think you got to fight for it because it's actually going to, even though it's hard, even in the heart and all that is part of their story. And it's going to help be the soil for them to understand and receive the gospel. So those are my thoughts. Wow. That's man. That, so yeah. Cause I was sitting here thinking, even as you were answering, like, how, how are you going to approach this as a dad? And, and like, that's it. <laughs> like that's it. And, in, in you know, in shepherding your son to think about, you know, as yeah. he thinks about his earthly adoption more fully, it, it just creates room for God to, you know, to do that much more in his understanding of his, his spiritual adoption. That's, yeah. that's powerful stuff, man. Um, so, you know, kind of as we, as we round out the interview, I think um, on the other side of the domestic adoption process, um, like what advice would you guys offer for, for families that are considering domestic adoption, people that are in the process now, like how, how would you try to be a guide to someone who's, who's stepping into a a place that you've been? 
Well, um, I would just first say thank you, Lifeline, because I feel like y'all really equipped us in some really great, great ways that I wasn't thinking about along the way. So first, let me just say thank you. So just encourage everyone about Lifeline. But also, I think I would I would say like just reframing your your thoughts as far as like adoption is not really just about gaining a child. Um, I think preparing yourself that adoption is walking through the tension of, of suffering and joy, which mm-hmm. is the life of a believer. Um, I think it's, wow. you know, recognizing that God's going to use us as agents of redemption because he's redeeming the world. Um, and I think entering into adoption is like being willing to enter into the just kind of mess of life and just how the brokenness of sin really affects all of us, like you mentioned earlier, but you know, there would not be a need for adoption if there wasn't brokenness. So I just think like understanding, like you're getting into such godly work and there's, I feel like there's just so much more than you could even hope for in it because that's who God is. Um, But it's not like earthly satisfaction. It's like the heavenly kind, which can, Mm can be painful you know and I think like that's just our God like he just he's calling us to something greater and I, I think it's like the biggest the biggest privilege um to get to be a part of and and he's gonna sustain us you know I feel like that verse about like his his uh power being shown in our weakness like mm-hmm. it's, it's so true and you know as far as me being an adoptive parent because I'm not an adoptee I'm like well I'm just I'm just getting started, you know, I feel like this is the very <laughs> beginning of my experience. So I don't know if you would add anything, Will. Yeah, I am. Um, no, I mean, I just affirm everything you said. I, I think it's, it is worth it. It's, you need to have community around you in pursuing a, any form of adoption, but domestic adoption, you, we need to come in humble. Um, mm. You know, as an adoptee, I can come in arrogant, you know, but I need to come in humble. There's stuff I needed to learn about adoption and I needed to be, I need to have my, my views shaped and changed and still do. Honestly, I still need to grow and listen. And I think it's important to approach it in that way because there's just so much, so many different ideas around it. But I think if you do it with community, if you do it with people who have some experience, there's just so much joy and goodness that can come Mm -hmm. from it. Um, And there's such a beautiful opportunity for the gospel. Um, And uh, I mean, I would say to, I do think it's important for fam- adoptive families just to know it's not about us. Like it just is not about us. And it's not that we don't need to, ca- you know, be cared for in the middle of it. Lifeline, like y'all crush the care for us, which I really appreciate. Um, but at the end of the day, it isn't about us. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that, that is helpful to me. That's actually encouraging to me. <laughs> I'm like, it's not about me. So like, so like to me, I'm like, that's, that's actually a good thing because then I, it helps set my perspective as I'm involved in this. Cause if it's about me, then the field adoption, God's out to get me. He's hurting me. He doesn't love me. You know, then the waiting is like, why is he doing this to me? Rather than me understanding I'm actually getting the fact that I even get to participate in this ministry at all is a grace. And the fact that I get to pray for these families or get to support a birth mother who would then choose to parent like that, that to me helps remind me, man, God is so much bigger than me. And praise him, I get to be used at all. So that was that was like a helpful, that's one thing I would say. So friends, we're uh we're just abundantly grateful for 
just your opportunity to come on here and share about the goodness of God and how he has shown himself through this adoption process and what, what great lessons that you have uh, for all of us uh, that I know we need to take to heart. And so Dr. Rick, any last thoughts as we close? And I, I just think um, I would encourage folks to rewind to the beginning and listen to it again, because I think there's just there's just a lot of good stuff and a lot of a lot of rich um, a lot of rich stuff that the Lord would have us to set our minds on and to ponder on. That's that's kind of been you know stirred up in the in the middle of this conversation. And so um, I would say you know um, feast deeply into what the Lord's kind of brought out here and 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 ponder it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Defender Podcast. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast. <music>